to you by the University of Delaware Partnership for Public Education. In an effort to increase the availability and accessibility of UD expertise to Delaware's P-12 educators, leaders, and policy influencers, we have invited faculty members from the University of Delaware's nine colleges to share their research. We hope you enjoyed today's critical conversation and consider ways you might be able to leverage relevant research and beauty expertise to advance policy and transform practice. My name is Liz Farley Ripple. I'm the director of the Partnership for Public Education, and I also serve as a faculty member in the School of Education. I'll be the host for today's episode, where we are joined by Dr. Adrian Pasquarella, Associate Professor of Literacy Education in the University of Delaware's College of Education and Human Development. Dr. Pasquarello's research focuses on language and literacy acquisition and development in multilingual populations, cross-language transfer, and developing research-based educational programs to improve language and literacy in culturally and linguistically diverse children. His research has been published in the Journal of Education Psychology, Developmental Psychology, Reading Research Quarterly, and others. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Pasquarella. Well, thanks for having me here. It's a pleasure to, to be doing this <laughs> podcast with you. We're really excited to have you join us. So why don't we jump in and talk about uh, some of the things that are happening around the state in Delaware. Uh, as you know, Governor's World Language Expansion Initiative, which was established in 2011, has provided Delaware K-12 students with an opportunity to learn a language other than English, beginning as early as kindergarten. What are the benefits of learning an additional language, especially at an early age? Well, that's a really great question that we could really talk a lot about. There are numerous benefits for learning an additional language. First and foremost, you get to learn the language. You get access to that culture, that those experiences, and it really opens up a lot of doors for um, diversity in education and diversity in experiences like post-education. There's a lot of job opportunities for students who know multiple languages. And it's just a really wonderful thing to promote at an early age, because this is a really great time for children to acquire these skills. Um, we see lots of benefits in terms of like the linguistic skills kids pick up. This idea of practicing learning how to read, learning how to write in more than one languages is actually really beneficial for their overall school achievement and their overall kind of educational experiences. So one of the reasons why we want to promote it at an early age is because children have the time and experience in the classroom to, to really practice and learn the different components of the language, both the, the listening, speaking, reading, and writing aspects of learning a second language. In Delaware, we have two particular um, other languages that we focus on. There's Mandarin, Chinese Mandarin, and Spanish. Uh, we see that these are a large portion of the that make up the cultural and, ling and linguistic diversity in the area. So it makes a lot of sense to have these two languages be the focus. Um, it really helps us bridge gaps between our culturally and linguistically diverse populations. Um, it affords children who speak those languages at home to gain that experience in the classroom and for that to be a value 
and something that we promote in terms of learning and school success. Also, we see that there's a lot of really great opportunities for children to travel. They can pick up these skills in school. And then when they go to foreign countries that speak these languages as their primary language, they're well equipped to either study or just have a, a wonderful social experience and kind of be integrated in the culture because they already have really good uh, language skills. That's great. You mentioned Chinese and Spanish as being the sort of prior dual language programs we have here in Delaware. Um, what does a typical school day look like in a dual language program? Well, there's lots of diversity and variation, and it comes down to um, the goals and the structures of the program and kind of the which is kind of paired with the societal and cultural needs in the area. Typically, when we think about dual language instruction, we're thinking about 50-50, so 50% foreign language, 50% English, but sometimes that changes. Uh, sometimes we see more uh, foreign language in the early grades to really get them that experience of learning the language. And then it kind of tapers off over time to be about 50-50 or, or a slightly different balance. Um, in Delaware, um, what's interesting is that they, they obviously spend time on English language arts and then their foreign language, so Spanish language arts or Chinese language arts. And then we also see typically that the content area learning and math is done in the foreign language. So it's quite a unique uh, structure that really kind of helps children learn the linguistic skills, but also build background knowledge and content area knowledge in that language. So then are some models of dual language better than others? Or are there particular benefits or advantages to particular models? Um, that's a really interesting question. And when you look at the research, it's really quite right now, it's really quite mixed and a little controversial. Um, there are a lot of studies showing that there are benefits and then some studies showing that there aren't a lot of benefits. The most important thing is that there is never a disadvantage for any student, whether they speak English as their first language or an additional language at participating in a dual language program. Overall, it's either we see the same kind of achievement patterns, the same kind of growth, or it's accelerated. So there's either, it's either kind of a neutral in some cases or a positive. When we see things being more positive is actually when there's more time spent on the additional language or the, the foreign language. Sometimes when they don't spend enough time on the Spanish or the Chinese, the benefits aren't actualized, which you know makes a lot of sense. You have to like learning a new language takes time and effort. And if you don't put in that proper time and effort, then there really isn't the positive outcomes. So the research shows us that the more time we spend on the Spanish or on the Chinese, it really it usually translates to better benefits. That's great. And I appreciate that because as you know, the purpose of our podcast is to shed light on some of the evidence supporting educational practices. So is there a tipping point in terms of the amount of time schools would need to spend on dual language instruction or instruction in the foreign language? 
sadly, we haven't had enough systematic studies to look at different dosages or balances of language instruction in terms of time students spend on either the foreign language or English. So we can't say definitively, you know, this is too much, this is not enough, this is the right balance. We don't really know yet. Um, but generally speaking, the idea of dual language instruction, like there's lots of different models of um, you know, bilingual education or multilingual education. And dual language instruction is one particular model that really has to have a, at least a 50-50 focus, if not more time. If, if, and if it is not 50-50, it has to be more time spent on the foreign language. And um, there is an intentional focus of developing language and literacy in more than one languages, in more than one language. There's a lot of bilingual education programs that are more supportive towards students whose language is not English, who do not speak English at home. And those we see that the goal isn't bilingualism. The goal is like English catch up. And, but for dual language, there's this really instructional, intentional and long-term commitment to developing like biliteracy, multilingualism. And that's really kind of at the core and the heart of the dual language programs is this like, it's really an intentional focus on fostering bilingualism. So we need at least 50-50 and it's gotta be a long-term commitment. It has to, you have to see these kids through their education and continue to promote academic competencies in both languages, not just using first languages to support English growth. Thank you for that. It's really helpful to understand what the evidence says about these programs. And as you brought up, it's important to note the different kinds of programs that exist. Perhaps we can take a moment to go back to some of the language issues that differentiate approaches. What are the different terms and what do they mean? Sure. So generally, when we, when we think about multilingual, we'll use the term multilingual education as kind of the big umbrella. And within that, we have a lot of different forms. We're most used to hearing ESL, English as a second language, teaching or education or programs. And those are programs that are specifically for students who speak a language other than English at home. And those programs are to support children reach um, academic English levels that are like equal with their peers. So it's really a support. It's really for students who have limited English proficiency, who speak a language other than English to help them catch up. When we think about bilingual education, it's kind of a nebulous uh, term that can mean a lot of different things. Sometimes it's used in terms of place of ESL. Sometimes it's used in terms of dual language instruction. It's really any program or any kind of instruction that it just involves other languages. We can have like, a, uh, you know, and, there, and there's different balances and different intentions and different goals. What I really try to think about is what's the goal of the program? Is it to support students who have limited English or is it to promote uh, bilingualism more broadly and more generally? And the more we move towards this idea of developing academic competencies in two languages, we're moving towards this idea of 
dual language instruction, where instructions occurring in both languages. It's very thoughtful. And what we see is one of the best things that promotes this learning is when all the teachers work together and they have an instructional model where you know the, the content, the strategies, the practices are consistent across the day for the students. So what, what they're doing in, in their Spanish classes connects what they're doing in English, connects what they're doing in math and content area learning. It's this really seamless experience. And sometimes that's hard to do. Right. It takes a lot of care, a lot of professional development from the staff and a lot of collaboration. Right. And we know that those things are sometimes hard to accomplish in any school with the structure of the day and the diversity of the curriculum. So those are important points to hit home, especially for those working in dual language programs or aspiring to develop them. So let's talk about what you've learned in your research on cross language transfer. What is cross-language transfer and how does it relate to supporting dual language education and multilingualism? Well, that's great. I'd love to talk about this. So cross-language transfer is um, very like a very basic definition would be using skills or knowledge that's already developed in one language to support learning a new language. So typically we see this as children who come with Spanish language and literacy skills. How do those skills support English learning? And there's a lot of, there's a lot to unpack. What we know is that generally cross-language transfer is a, a positive and powerful mechanism for students. It's more about supporting and benefiting students than it is about this idea of language confusion or like, you know, or some kind of impedance. Um, and it really, there's, one of the things I'm really interested in looking at is what are kind of things that transfer easily? So what transfers universally? whether you speak Spanish, Chinese, Arabic, Hebrew, French, whatever, whatever your first language is, what kind of transfers over really easily. And the research has shown us very clearly that these early literacy skills, such as phonological awareness, being able to kind of hear, understand and manipulate sound segments in speech, that really, really, really supports early reading growth and is one of the readily available easiest aspects to transfer. Because we all know a language, we all have experience hearing speech sounds and trying to break them up into smaller units, whether it's Chinese, whether it's French or, or you know, or um, Spanish, Whatever that is, we all have that experience and we know that that really easily transfers to help children with their English reading. So if we wanted to get a, an idea, let's take like a regular kindergarten classroom with like multilingual diverse population of students. If we were able to measure or look at their phonological awareness skills in their first language, it would give us a really, really, really clear indication of how well they're going to do learning English phonological skills as well as English word reading. So when we're thinking about Spanish uh, speaking children learning English as a second language, it's very valuable to monitor and assess 
their phonological skills in Spanish because it's a very strong predictor of how well they're going to, how quickly they're going to acquire English phonological skills and English reading skills, which are like the number one predictor of ultimate reading outcomes, especially for younger children. One more thing about this that's really interesting is so I, I mentioned this idea of phonological awareness is this universal kind of component that transfers easily. We also see that there's some language specific components and that more has to do with like the congruency or overlap or kind of like the etymolo etymological origins between languages. So we think of um, languages like uh, Spanish, French and English that are common. They're more similar than, you know, English and Chinese or English and Japanese, right? They're alphabet, like, uh, you know, Spanish, French, and English, they're alphabetic languages. They have, you know, phonemes that map onto individual letters, right? And we see that that is this idea of phonological awareness that transfers quite easily. But then there's also these other aspects between languages that maybe aren't as transparent or aren't as congruent. And sometimes that's, that relates to different aspects that transfer. So the, the classic example is, is cognates, words that look the same and mean the same across languages. Some languages share cognates, some languages don't. English and Spanish share a ton of cognates. And what's really important about those cognates is what we see is Spanish words that are English cognates the Spanish words are generally high frequency words, quite common words that children encounter very early in age through oral language. But when we see them in English, they're generally academic vocabulary. So there's this huge advantage for Spanish children having really good um, linguistic skills and, and knowing about like, having cognate awareness is really beneficial. But not all languages share cognates. Chinese and English don't share cognates. So you don't get that type of advantage. However, if we look at other aspects of literacy, like morphological awareness, which is the ability to reflect and think about the smallest unit of meaning. So these are root words, prefixes, suffixes, that kind of stuff we see that there's a lot of relationships across a lot of languages and how morphemes are similar, right? Spanish and English, they kind of inflect and derive, they have morphologically complex words that are built in a similar way. Surprisingly, English and Chinese have the same kind of idea around compound morphology. So words, so when you put two words together like sun and shine, you get sunshine, that's a different meaning. Fire, truck, fire truck. The way we build compound words in English is exactly the same as the way we build compound words in Chinese. And we know through lots of research that kids who are good at it in one language are good at it in another language. So it's kind of looking at the grain size and the specificity. And if we look hard enough, we are gonna find advantages. And we see that those really help children with word reading, vocabulary, and comprehension. Wow, I'm learning so much about language and literacy here. The examples are such helpful illustrations of how language skills in any language are an asset in literacy development. 
This is incredibly interesting work, and it's helpful for the educators, parents, and community members in our audience to hear about the relationships between different languages and how language develops, which really highlights how multilingualism can support learning. So that begs the question then, is dual language instruction appropriate for everyone? Yes, absolutely. There's a lot of research coming out and we have we have a really nice study that's uh, under review right now showing that um, students who speak English as a first language or students who speak English as a second language benefit from dual language instruction. Um, and we can take this even a step further and and talk about students who are learning the foreign language as their third language. So there's a lot of studies in the US and then we can point to the Canadian French immersion context to look at, okay, so what happens when a culturally and lingu linguistically diverse child is in a dual language program, but their first language is Arabic. And they're now they're learning in English and Chinese or English and Spanish. What do we see? We see they do great. So there's this really, there's these really nice findings showing that, yes, dual language instruction is great for anyone. It's really important, like English students learn competencies in both skills. We even see that students who speak, you know, who, who are very culturally and linguistically diverse, their English grows at a rate that's appropriate where if they're in a supportive educational environment they if they come in with low levels of english vocabulary they do catch up and do quite fine a few years later and we and so there's this really nice story saying yes that um multi, like dual language is supportive for everyone and that's like the biggest question that we always get from parents is like am i gonna Am I going to disadvantage my child because we don't speak English at home and we don't speak Spanish or Chinese at home? Like, what should I do? And we say, don't worry, we understand your concern, but the research shows us that these children do very well. And it kind of hit, hits back on this other point I made about cross-language transfer and phonological awareness is that they have these capacities, they have these skills. And now, and now what we're seeing is like these children come through and then they're, they're trilinguals which like we, we've all met people in life who are, you know, who know more than two languages and we're all like, how did you do it? And they're like, once, once you get going, once you learn two, once you learn three, everything clicks and everything becomes a lot easier to learn more and more languages. So there's this really powerful like snowball that keeps rolling and keeps building momentum and helping children just develop capacities in all the languages they're exposed to. So there are lots of benefits to bilingualism. The research is a bit mixed because doing really good experimental studies or brain imaging studies or behavioral outcome studies are challenging. And it's, sometimes it's hard to uh, do them in a rigorous way. So when you look at the research, it is a bit mixed, but we see these general trends that there is a lot of benefits for bilingualism. There's a lot of increases in communication besides the obvious knowing more than one language. We also see that um, Ellen Bialystok from York University has a lot of findings showing that there are certain executive functioning and attentional benefits for, for children who have uh, who are learning, who are bilingual or who are learning multiple languages in that they have some cognitive 
advantages in terms of like vigilance and control in terms of kind of attention and memory and executive functioning. If we look at um, older populations, like elderly people, we see that there's uh, lower rates of like Alzheimer's and, and things like that. And it's so it's kind of like in one way, bilingualism acts sort of like a protective mechanism for the brain because it keeps the brain really active as people get older and you know it's just this whole the the the, the whole cliche if you don't use it you lose it is true with bilingualism um, but we when when we see those people follow when we follow them up over the long term and we see that they are actively engaged in like bilingual speaking, they use their two languages quite readily um, in their daily life, we see that it really is helpful at maintaining cognitive flexibility and cognitive health as we age. Well, that's really important to know, right, that the it, we're not just talking about uh, literacy development or language development, which I know is your particular area of expertise, but we're talking about long-term benefits for learning multiple languages. Um, so I think that's a, a great outcome for us to reflect on the state as we improve and grow these programs. But that leaves me with a question, if there's so much benefit why don't we do this more often? Why don't all students have dual language instruction? When you talk to someone like me, I would be like, yeah, of course, I totally agree with you that we should be promoting more dual language learning, more bilingualism in our schools. There are a number of challenges on, on why. There's a lot of uh, controversial, social, and political reasons on why we don't promote bilingualism in the schools more than we do. We see this comes down to a lot of different uh, demographical and regional uh, choices that get put through different policies on promoting bilingualism. It speaks to a larger uh, issue in our society of whether we value um, cultural diversity versus assimilation. And this kind of has a big role to play in why bilingualism, dual language um, learning has been stunted for the last few decades. And like, it's really sad. And it's kind of like our groups, it's like one of our missions to promote and to help in, inform policy that this needs to change. We are moving towards a more interconnected global world, a more multicultural society, and our schools need to reflect that not try to move away from that. We need to embrace these differences. Um, so on this kind of macro level, it's really, um, there's these challenges that are really important for us to work against and, and overcome and kind of shine light on this area. At a school level, it's really challenging to provide the appropriate uh, professional development, teacher credentialing, getting, um, teachers who are proficient in in this in the the other language in the in the in, you know in Spanish or Chinese is very challenging it's very difficult to retain these people um, there's a lot of people who come in from foreign countries to to like and they come in they get visas or or, or they get work permits and 
it's a struggle to try to keep them here because there aren't the same, there aren't enough support. There's not enough professional development and there's not enough supports built into the schools to help um, this area flourish. And then, you know, we can keep dialing it down to talk about things like curriculum and resources. There's, and like educational assessments and things like that. Like there's a lot in, there's a lot in Spanish. You know, I like by a lot, I mean, there's more than all the other languages, but not nearly enough. So that's what I mean by a lot, but there is virtually nothing in other languages that are represented in our culture. So there's like very little, you know, um, psychoeducational assessments in Chinese or in Arabic or Hebrew or anything like this. So it's really challenging when we develop these studies, we're always having to make experimental tasks and they work great. They do well, but it's not normed nationally. And we have this other challenge of there, there are psychoeducational assessments in French that come from France and, and French speaking countries, which are very useful, but they're normed on a French monolingual population. So again, it's like, it's hard to translate into usable practice in our context because it's different. So it's like, basically the, the short answer is we just really need to build up everything from the ground up. We need better resources, better assessments, better training, more efforts to retain um, like, you know, international or diverse teachers. And we need policies to reflect and support all of these efforts. So I think that's a really important perspective to share, right? What are some of the reasons that we haven't more, uh, invested in dual language learning more. And I think the macro versus the classroom level are, are both important to take into consideration. It sounds like Delaware is actually ahead of the curve. And I know that when the governor launched that initiative, that really pushed our dual language programs across the state light years ahead of where they have been. And I know that uh, the schools that have them are very proud of them and, and continue to work to improve them. So what is one thing we can do to better support dual language programs here in Delaware? I think that UD has a tremendous opportunity to find new and innovative ways to support dual language programs in Delaware. I think that I have a lot of students who come into my lab and who I'm working with that are really interested in, in improving their Spanish as well as becoming fully certified teachers. So I think that that's our tremendous opportunity to find ways to like, uh, you know, build bridges between departments and to find uh, new and exciting ways to collaborate to support our students in, you know, becoming like certified teachers in English as well as in uh, Spanish and, and just kind of helping them and helping us figure out what are some ways that we could work together to, to build programs or to modify existing structures to really help our students kind of uh, improve this aspect of dual language learning and to promote like bilingualism and biliteracy in Delaware. And I think that, I think UD has, uh, has the opportunity and the obligation to kind of be an important part of this mission.
I think you're right about that. And like you, I hope we can see some of those opportunities become realities. To our audience, you can learn more about Dr. Pasquarella's work in the links below. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure. We've learned a lot from you, and we hope to hear more from you and your exciting work in the future. Anytime. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Evidence for Education, brought to you by the University of Delaware Partnership for Public Education. We hope you join us for our next episode featuring Dr. Lauren Bales and a discussion of school discipline policies. For more information about the work being done by the Partnership for Public Education, please visit our website at www.udel.edu forward slash PPE.